Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan and Rockefeller Center, Newsstand Studios, joined uh, kind of now as usual, but even though he's not on the Booker and Dax uh, crew anymore, we got John, John Hull in the booth. How you doing? Doing great, thanks. Yeah? Yeah. Yep, as well. N- Nastasia had to leave. Uh, she's getting ready to go to, you know, back to the land of Los Angeles. She'll be on the show from Los Angeles next week, Joe. So there's no The Hammer Lopez now. And plus, they're filming something for Rockefeller Center. She's like, I can't get the COVID. I'm about to get on a plane. So she, she hightailed it out. Uh, and Jackie Molecule's not also on the phone today because he, if you remember from the last time, is in Alaska. Who the hell knows what he's doing in Alaska? I hope when he gets back next week to hear stories of giant mosquitoes that have drained him of half of his blood. You know, something like this. Uh, you rocking the panels as usual. We got uh, Joe Hazen. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, man? I'm okay. I feel like I just shortchanged you. Joe Hazen! How's Woo! that? Is that better? Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. And... Uh, all the way from Vancouver Island, which, if you don't know Canadian geography, is not Vancouver. Vancouver is on the mainland. And then you got to take, like, a boat or apparently a 20-minute seaplane ride over to Vancouver Island. We got uh, Quinn. Quinn, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? All right. How are you enjoying your first full week as the customer service representative extraordinaire for Booker and Dax? Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm customer service pretty good. I'm hoping to be extraordinary by, you know, week two or three. All right, there you go. That's good. I like that's aiming high because there's a lot, like already people have thrown him right into, we already had a friend of ours uh, take two spinzols, which is the centrifuge that we made and will make again. Uh, right, John? I hope. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, Oh, my God, dude. I got the new rotors balanced and too much to talk about on air. Too much. Too much inside baseball. Anyway, so, like, already somebody in Europe has plugged not one, but two of them directly into 220 mains power and blown out the boards. So, Quinn's getting a real, you're getting a real, uh, what's it called? One-two, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No good. Uh, Joe, I'm getting a tiny buzz. Is that going out? Yeah. Or... yeah. All right. But... Uh, I am super uh, psyched. By the way, call in your questions, too, if you're listening live on Patreon. And if you want to be able to listen live on Patreon, John, what should they do? Uh, cookingissues.com or patreon.com slash cookingissues. Yeah. Sign yeah. up. Lots of great perks. Cool guests, obviously. And yeah. Yeah. Great and, stuff. And, you know, John set up all, like, all of those Patreon perks that you, that you guys get who are on Patreon. But Quinn is now looking into getting new Patreon perks, right? Is that true, Quinn? Uh, yeah, I've got some calculators i'm working on some will be exclusive to the patreon slash discord and some will be sort of early access uh, to my calculators i like early early access to a technical cooking calculator like backstage pass to calculation it's kind of like it's kind of a funny only our crew right only our crew would be interested in it but i love it i love it i'm for it i'm for it very much for it but like quinn i put out some 3d models on the on our patreon once i don't know that one person has downloaded and printed these crazy 3d models listen there is an opportunity for us at booker and dax let me introduce the guest first and then we we can talk about it let's let's do it that way let's Call in your questions to 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. Today's guest is Greg Backstrom, who uh, comes from Chicago. And guess what, people? Even though he is a chef from Chicago, we are not going to talk about the bear at all. Not at all. So don't ask. Thankfully, no one wrote in a question about that. Right, Right, uh, John? Right, yeah. Yeah. I don't think so, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh... Worked in some of the greatest restaurants, you know, in the in the world, in the in the country, in the world. Was your first 
like kind of like super high end one, Alinea, or no? What was your first like super high end? Yeah, yeah. I, I started at Alinea about four, no, about a week into it being open. Oh snap! Yeah. Oh and then I was God. there for four years. Oh my God! So that's right when I was at the holy crap. So yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So they'd already opened it, right? So like, how much of the staff from uh, what was it called? Uh, Clio Trio, whatever his original one was, right? How much of that staff was still there? Like, did he just have key people, or were a lot of the people in the Alinea kitchen from his other his other kitchen? I would say about half of the cooks were from Trio, and then the other half were brand new. And back then, I mean, now it's I think they're up to like twenty something cooks, but back then it was about nine. I mean, we did we did all of that with like nine or twelve of us or something. Huh? And so you were there from then. That probably means like. Oh, what it, whatever it was, oh five to oh nine or mm-hmm. something like that. That's right. And uh, was Bobby Murphy there during that time? No. Had you opened? Had they opened um, Aviary yet? No, way before all that. Uh, that. You know, like when you get to be in your fifties, like all years kind of blend together, and they no, nothing has any meaning anymore. Yeah. But uh, I also can't remember. Stu Pack was the opening pastry chef, or no? Yeah, when I was there, I mean, it's pretty. It, it was. It's uh, David Barron, Jordan Kahn, Ryan Bartlow, Alex Stu John Shields, David Posey, uh, I'm sure I could keep going. Just a bunch of no-account losers, huh? Yeah, they're just, it's, it's, I mean, when you look at some of those old pitchers, it's, I mean, it's like early years French Laundry pitchers, you know? Yeah, and the, the funny thing about, uh, so Alinea was, like, along with uh, Wiley and a couple other people at WD, they're really, everyone... Everyone likes to say that, ooh, there was this huge movement going on. Well, there were like four restaurants. Mm. You know what I mean? So there was, uh, and, and what I thought was really funny was anyone who had eaten, I'll just name three of the restaurants at that time, like that early, right? WD50, who are doing kind of whatever you want to call it. What do you, what do you want to call it, John? What do you want to call that kind of cooking? No, I'm not going to say it even to tease you. I, uh, I will. <laughs> I, you, I can, all these things are bolted, so I can't flip any tables. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess modernist cooking. Do you think that's, that's modernistic? Modernistic? Back then, they were just saying avant-garde. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah there I we think, go. And yeah. then modernist and molecular kind of trickled in. They, yeah. But I think avant-garde yeah. was well, what they yeah, were. You know, right. modernist was uh, Nathan at all, probably Chris Young, actually. So, like, in that group, Chris Young was still in Nathan's uh, orbit, mm. right? Uh and that's not the right way to put but it. But I still feel like that was a term before the books came out. Modernist? Well, they were pushing. Everyone molecular. hated. Everyone hated molecular. Yeah, right? mole- modernist came out. I think you're right. It was with them. But, uh, yeah, molecular. Yeah, uh, was earlier. I think. Well, molecular was being pushed by. Uh, uh, listen, I don't talk poorly about people on the show or publicly, really, uh, that are in the food business. Just because, I mean, Greg, don't you think it's hard enough to make? A living in this freaking business that like talking bad about other people you know yes. what i mean yeah, yeah. right it's rough yeah so you don't to speak ill of people really right uh, not now i mean i i, I absolutely used to but. right but i mean like uh you know like uh i remember especially when you're at like uh like a, a you know a hot new restaurant or a hot new bar you hire like a young a young cook or a young bartender and they want to show how much behind that they can kick. And so they go out and they talk smack about other people, especially now with social. And I was like, no, like anyone who did that at our place, you get like one warning and then you're toast. If you mm. talk bad, if you go to another place and act poorly, that was it. I didn't want to work with you anymore. You, you know, know what I mean? was great was when I was at Alenia, there was a really healthy rivalry with Charlie Trotters yeah, and yeah, us yeah. because we were only two blocks away from each other. Right, right, right. And like a lot of us went to the same bar after work, and so 
That's you hilarious. Know, sometimes it was a little, you know, intense, but but it was it was pretty great. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people forget that Trotter also, and I even forgot because I wasn't talking about it. But back in like oh four, oh five. Like Trotter was pushing a lot of those same agendas. He was going to Madrid Fusion. So all of the people in America who wanted to be in this, we'll call it avant-garde because that's what I get, people were calling it at the time, right? Mm-hmm. They were looking towards the Spanish, the Catalonians, right? And it was the, kind of the first generation of chefs in America who were doing super high-end work whose focus was not at all like French yeah, what, continental what cuisine. Was doing. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was just completely different. Yeah, so whether, you know, whether they were focused on, you know, kind of Ferran-style stuff, or really, like, El Calar Con Rocco, even was, was before it became huge internationally, it was punching way above its rate, weight in chef's minds anyway, hmm. back then. I don't know, you probably remember this. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I mean, that's... Anywho, so there weren't that many restaurants doing this kind of work, but the other thing I always thought was interesting was that the work that was being done at Alinea was not anywhere similar to the work that was being done at WD or Moto or uh, Trotters or no one had the same interpretation of what it meant. Yeah. And, and, and it's very different now, not that in a bad way, but like what I still love about my experience there was like, you know, it was weird. There was things played on a pillow, stuff like that, mm-hmm. but you could still see the French laundry training in it. Like it would have like, all these different ingredients and a weird technique and then just sort of this oddball thing but you could see the through line if you looked close enough and uh and see the technique like we still had to make vilju the proper way and right. all this stuff and, and and uh i don't really not that you know i don't really think that's the case necessarily now uh not with that restaurant but just in general how it's evolved well, all the people who are doing that kind of work, and now let's just focus on WD and Alinea because, as I said, I'm not going to speak ill of anybody's restaurant on air. But, uh, oh, I remember who I said I was going to say I hated. Uh, Hervé Tis. And not personally, I don't know the guy, but he was the guy pushing molecular gastronomy, and he is... Uh, yeah, you're right. That's probably where it's... That's right. When, yeah. When it and he's a, he's a... What's the word? He's a liar. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? He's a liar and a huckster. He's a charlotte, and he's like a French P.T. Barnum of food. So mm-hmm. it's like... Uh, I didn't appreciate that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's always either Team Harold McGee or there's Team Hervé Tis. I am for, and not that Harold would never say anything negative about Hervé Tis, but like whatever. He, you know, first of all, Hervé Tis does not give a rats behind what any American thinks. I have about not him. heard that name in probably 18 years. Right, right. You know why? Because his books suck. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just saying. Uh, but look, maybe he's better. Maybe he's a maybe he's an okay guy now. Well, we all I evolve. I d- no, maybe, 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 maybe. Not. I don't okay. know. Maybe I don't know. Do we all evolve? Hopefully. I hope so, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Do you think that people, you think people's core can get better or just they can realize stuff that they've been doing is wrong if their core is good? Mm, I think like everything else, there's degrees, even within that, you know? Huh. I think if people have uh, monumental things that happen in their lives and that can force them to change quicker than maybe someone else that doesn't have. A monumental occurrence. So you're an optimist. Do you think most chefs are optimists? But both could eventually get to the you're a human optimist. place of enlightenment. You're a human optimist. So do you think that that helps in the kitchen or doesn't help in the kitchen? Uh, I don't know. I, again, it's so much more common. Do I think most like most people are disappointing, right? Like, wow. So there's... So, there's <laughs> but it doesn't mean that uh, that I look at people with this. It means that not everybody works out or... or uh, or maybe they're not a right fit for something, but it doesn't make me a bad person for thinking that or them a bad person because it doesn't work out. 
you know? Yeah, I agree. But it make, it's becoming increasingly harder to have that conversation. Yeah. So then did you go, so Alinea, like, one thing that, like, if for any of you, I've, I've had two full-blown meals at Alinea. So if you go to Alinea, they're going to do everything. First of all, don't have a cocktail at a bar before you go. Don't. <laughs> don't nosh before you go. Take some Adderall. Like, take some sort of upper because they're going to convince you to get the long tasting. And the long tasting is not short. No. Like, you're, you're in it. Like, like, if you just landed at O'Hare, is that your airport, O'Hare? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You landed at O'Hare, you're tired as all hell, maybe the plane's been delayed, maybe they lost your luggage, I don't know. And then you show up, like, God forbid, get an earlier reservation. Did this happen to you? Twice, because... <laughs> Like any time I used to go to Chicago was for the uh, restaurant show, mm. and uh, so I would go with Nils Norin, who was you know my compatriot at the French Culinary Institute, and you know everything was filling up because the restaurant you know the the week that the restaurant show is there, it's like it's like here it's like all the restaurants like oh come on really you know what I mean because they get slammed you mm. know at least that's my memory of it, and so yeah they were like they only could fit us in for the full tasting but like at like nine so you like you take this long flight you get in and you're sitting nine and then you're there until like. And you know everyone in the restaurant hates you. They want to go home. And you have the long-ass tasting, and it's long. I mean, it's all great. I mean, the thing about Alinea I thought that was so good was, um, like you say, you're using all of these techniques, but the, the base flavors of the stuff, by and large, were just kind of on-point flavor choices and, and flavor mechanisms, and then the, the techniques were kind of layered on top. And I think that's kind of fundamentally different. Like, Wiley was much more interested in technique driving weird and different textures with hydrocolloids. And yeah, one time Grant said to me, food is architecture. I believe that. Oh, we got a caller? Yeah, caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave and gang, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear Hello? you. Hello? Hello. I do. Okay, I have a, I have a, I have a critique and a question. Which one do you want first? Uh, well, does the critique, does the, does the critique build on my answer to the question that I have not yet provided? They're completely unrelated. The critique. I'll go with the critique first. Okay. Last week or two weeks ago, you were talking about the spice store in the East Village. Uh, dual or dual? It can be pronounced both ways. It's but. called dual. It's called. It's, it's either. I've had a conversation with the people at the desk. I've walked up to them, right? Because you get some people who call it dual, and you get some people who call it dual. And then when you go up to the to the desk, and you're like, "Hey, did you get the uh, the um, the a rock back in? Because you shouldn't buy a powder. You should buy it in like the resin form and grate it fresh. Why? Because it tastes better, right? So when you go up there and you're like, "Hey, you got the fresh like uh, like uh, butcherlokia peppers in yet? Or you got that the asafetida?" No, so anyway, so this conversation happens all the time with me with these people. So I walk up to them and I'm like, hey, what is it really? Because I've heard it both ways. Dual or dual? And they're like, we don't care. <laughs> they just don't care. Oh, they told me it's called dual because they sell spices and beer. Oh, that's hilarious. I you know what? I like your explanation and I like what that person said to you. So I'm going to do it that way from now on. I always used to pronounce it dual because that's the way it looks. And then I had people going dual to me and I'm like, you know what? Again, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, if you live or work, more importantly, anywhere in the East Village area, this is a spice shop where you can go in and get spices and teas, but they're also open so damned late. You know what I mean? They are open till, what is it, like one? Something like that. If you want asafoetida at one in the morning, it might be your only place in the United States. Yeah, well, if you run out of something and you need to bust prep out, 
like during service, you can run someone over there and get whatever weird spice thing is. You don't need anyway. So okay, so what's the question? That was the critique. What's the question? Do all countertop ice makers suck? Is oh or, yeah. Is there some that are good? No. No, no, they suck. Um, countertop. Wait, wait. Specifically, under counter or countertop? Countertop with the reservoir. Yeah, I don't see how that's going to be good. I just don't see how that's going. Like, if it, is it huge? I mean, like, there's I'm, a big ass one that makes pellet ice. Oh yeah, I think for. that's fine. Those are probably fine. But like, you just need to look at uh, efficiency. I mean. The, you need to look at efficiency. I haven't used that. Like, I, I thought you meant like the crappy little ones that are basically Peltier garbage that like like just do stuff. I haven't used any of the of the countertop pellet ones. Anything that's designed to be commercial is going to do what it needs to do and just break a lot and cost too much. I mean, that's my gripe with it. Also, like, are you talking about a home or for work? For home. Yeah. The problem with ice machines, I don't know about the reservoir ones, but the problem with uh, having a real ice machine at home, aside from that they're intensely inefficient because they're running all the time and then melting and running, so you always have tempered ice, right? They, a home ice, real ice maker, so a freezer ice maker, for those of you that know what I'm talking about, they, it makes ice, and then it stops making ice when the icing fills, and because the ice is in the freezer, ice never melts. Ice is also not tempered. Ice is also not clear, typically, right? Ice machines, like a restaurant ice machine or a, or a bar ice machine, they spray water onto a plate and as they spray water onto the plate, it builds the layers of ice up into relatively clear, assuming that you filtered your water properly. The ice is relatively clear. Then it pops it out into what amounts uh, to an igloo cooler where it immediately starts melting. So it just melts constantly. It's not refrigerated in the thing. And so they're loud as all get out because there's always water going ring, like that onto the plates. And then you got the bust out, and then you have the condensate pump, so it's a huge nightmare. I live that way because seltzer is that important to me, and I don't have a, uh, I don't have an ice bank yet. My next house, if I ever, if I live to have another house, ice bank. So I'm gonna say if you if you tweet me out a particular unit, I'll look at the specs. The thing is, is that most uh, ice things are underpowered, and they also put out a boat ton of heat because they just do. And so if you're having on the counter, it can be a pain in the butt. All right. Now, tweet me out what unit is. I'll take a look at it. Fair? Greg, is that fair? Interesting. Yeah. yeah I mean, ice, I have to say, uh, yeah, it's real inefficient. I just have two trays in my freezer. It sits on top of the chicken nuggets that I always keep in there. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Like what brand? Are you a Swanson? Do Swanson still exist anymore? Like who makes the, the chicken Bell nuggets? Bell Evans. Bell and Evans, yeah. Uh, yeah All right. They're, they're good. There's always at least four boxes in, in my freezer. I heard a, I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was so wrong as to be funny. A, a, I hate uh, bull, sh- bull crap uh, food etymologies, and there was a really bull crap etymology of chicken nugget going back to the author, I think it's LL, The Wizard of Oz, LL Bomb? LL Bomb? think so anyway something about him saying like this early story where like it turns a chicken into a piece of gold and so that that is the the genesis of the chicken nugget i'm like nah nah that's crap you know what i mean yeah it's garbage uh all right so we'll speed through this we get this stuff so did you go directly from alinea to blue hill or was there stuff in between or do you want to talk about blue hill like you were blue hill stone barns or blue hill here uh stone barns yeah so that's kind of crazy right that's kind of a crazy environment like you get to use all these cool ingredients like, you know, what, how, what was it? What, like, what? Well, f- so it was b- in between Alenia. So I went to Alenia when I left Alenia. I, I had Grant set me up with a trip. So I did, uh, I staged at Elbowee and Arzac, and then I did a oh. stint at Uber Eats. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, about five months at Muguritz, and then were they both still working at Arzac or no? Was it just yeah, her at yeah, the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they were both still there. They even there? had me make a dish. They were like, "Show me something." And oh my like, god, oh, that's shit. so hilarious! <laughs> so the uh, restaurant Arzac, when uh, you know, I, I never, got, I never got to go there. How was the food there? Uh, it was really good. Weren't they? Were they the ones that were using the uh, upside down canisters of freezy spray and like making those like chocolate things? Those like, or was that uh, Berasategui who's doing that stuff? At that time. Man, I forgot about him. Yeah, yeah. Martin Barasatiki. How could you forget <laughs> such a great name? It's, Martin Barasatiki. It's uh, Andoni's uh, old mentor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's such a great name. Yeah. I mean, those, those, all those people have such great names. Arzak's also. All of them have restaurants on top of each other in one city. Yeah, yeah. See, I've never been there. I've never been there. Anyway, Where? so. San Sebastian? Yeah, never been. Oh, my God. No one. I, like, I never got invited to any of those conferences, and uh, anyone that knows me knows I only travel on business. When I was there, I shared a room with about twelve other men, and well, not a room, a two-bedroom apartment. There was three bunk beds in each of the oh, two geez, rooms, please. and not not one of us were from the same country, and uh, and I only had like probably two grand that I saved for the entire like six months I was there, and back then I was about to propose to my then my girlfriend. And I had a, like a ring taped to my chest because I was, I was sleeping and stopped. You know, I was either sleeping with all these guys or I was sleeping in a hostel or wherever I could. And I would do it. I would do it again today. It's yeah. like such a good city. So, uh, so like, how much of a tape burn did you get from the tape being around? Yeah, I was your... uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. It would move when I would roll around. Oh, that's no good. That's yeah. no good. And then, like, you know, she, when you finally proposed, she's like, "What's this stripe across your chest?" Yeah. And you're like, "Nothing." <laughs> I just honey. waxed everything else off. Just to make it work. <laughs> you just changed where it was, and yeah. eventually, you're totally clean. Yeah. yeah. Well, for that time, that was relatively new. You were early to the game with that. You exactly. know what I mean? Yeah. Nice. Uh, so you know. then I, after that after that six months or five months, whatever it was in Spain, then I came to New York. I worked at Per Se. I liked it a lot. I learned a shit ton and met a lot of great friends. What year was that? Uh, 2009. Okay. And I don't think I knew anyone in the kitchen there then. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't know. It was one of, you know, I didn't love it. And it wasn't from a culture thing. It wasn't for, it was because I had already you know, I already did it at Alenia for four years. Did Grant give you the I, in to per se because of the Keller Grant yeah, he connection? Helped, yeah, he, he helped set it up. Is that harder or easier to be there under, like, because you have to then not do anything wrong because you're going to piss off Grant, too? Uh, I, I'm pretty good in that environment. Yeah. You know, like I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I don't have a lot of skills, but, uh, but I can, I can thrive in that environment. And, and, uh, but, but I, I you know, I just, you really, and not, this is not a slight either. You have to drink the Kool Aid if you're gonna if you're gonna commit yourself. If you're gonna like sign up, and I'm a member of the team, and you're gonna go to training every day, and and have a coach, and and you're gonna learn a bunch of skills. Like you have to drink the Kool Aid of that. And um, and I, I I what I knew pretty early on, I wasn't gonna do that for another four years at that restaurant. Right. Because it was just too, the food was completely different, but the, the it was just the same thing a little bit for, in my mind. Right. I was still learning a crap ton, uh, but, so Grant knew that. Like, I was not planning on quitting or anything. Right. It wasn't enough to where I wanted to leave. I moved from Chicago to, but Grant ate at Stone Barns, and he, he, Chef Ackett's has been like, he's still to this day, we still talk, and, and he's like insanely generous with me. And he brought my name up to Dan when he was just eating. Dan called me the next day, and then like two weeks later, I, I had put my notice in and left. So 
back to the Kool-Aid for a second, because I think it's actually an interesting point that I don't know where we're going to end up in our industry yet. And you actually, the work that you're doing, right, the work you were doing when COVID hit, which we could talk about in a minute, the, the you know, the kind of um, shift towards kind of a more mellow fine dining or like a fine dining that you can A, afford and B, you know, you could probably eat more than once a year without having your, your liver blow out or whatever. Yeah. Uh, right. But in, if you ever want to do anything great, it's really hard to do something great without there being some amount of Kool-Aid drinking because it's not an industry. If you, you just can't even... The, it's just, how, it's it, just, I mean, not to cut you off, but to me, it's, it, you know, change it from Kool-Aid to something else. But like, it's, you know, I just ha- we just got all of the kitchen uh, for the three restaurants. We got everybody that worked in the back of the house together the other day. And, uh, you know, we just sort of were talking just to like let everybody talk and like, hey, this thing's still broken. Can you get this fixed into like what's going on with Rockefeller Center later this year? And so, and, uh, Spoiler, they're going to open a place here in Rockefeller Center. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a loss of onus of you need to be responsible for your own career and the own, the things that you need to learn to get you to the place you're planning on going. And for me, that was Greg's going to own his own restaurant and not work for people. And for, for most of that career of working at like basically only top 10 restaurants in the world was I needed to have my own three mission star restaurant. My, I, I just needed to make Grant proud. Like that was the motivation. And, uh, and then, you know, shit happens. Things change. Like, I, like by the time I was opening up Olmstead, I had not eaten in a fine dining restaurant for like five years. So I just couldn't be the guy that's like, yeah, give me $250 a portion or, yeah. a, you know, a meal. I just didn't, I just couldn't, I would not reciprocate. You know, and so I just opened up something more casual, but, uh, but, it, but there's, it's not like then I did something wrong because I don't have the fine dining restaurant. Uh, right, but you still, still need your crew I still to garnered, care, though, right? I still garnered, a, 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 like an insane amount of skills and a, in a, in almost equally as important a network that influential, important people saw that I was really skilled and worked my ass off. So then they were able to come to bat for me when it was time for me to open up a restaurant. I mean, that was the o- only because I knew a famous food photographer and a publicist that, that I met once and, and Grant Ackett's and David Barber. And mm. like only because of that was I able to sort of leap over being guy, guy in the kitchen to guy that owns the restaurant. Right. Well, they're like, uh, people, I don't think people should actually feel bad about leveraging their contacts as long as they try to give other people opportunities to rise. I say that all the time. I go, all of you, okay, first of all, if you don't know what makes the frozen yogurt here at Olmsted so popular, like, then you're, there's only three ingredients in the whole thing, and it's, like, why, very, very popular. So, like, it's a, you just don't understand if you're going to leave and you don't know how to make it, and then what those ingredients can be, you know, applied to elsewhere. And then the other thing is, I'm the only person all of you know that owned four restaurants and opened them up in six years. So if any of you want to own anything, like we need to have a relationship now. And that's not just like I'm pouring it out. You need to you need to give me something, which doesn't mean working off the books or right, right. sacrificing everything. But it means it's it's like we're in this together. I want I only want great restaurants, and you want to own something someday. You know. Uh, and so my candidness will only open if there's a, if we're beyond just, uh, 
person that clocks in and clocks out every day, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I'm trying to, what I guess I'm trying to ask, when I'm trying to figure out, and John, you're probably working with this now too, is how do you set up, because, you know, John just took a, an exec chef at a, at a place that's, that's not quite one year old, right? So you're... Just over one year old, like right. one year and two weeks, yeah. Right, you're totally doing whatever you want to... Pro- anyway, yeah. point being that I think it's an interesting problem now specifically to try to develop a non-toxic Kool-Aid mix to get people to drink. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, the reality... It's everything from, like... I mean, it's like the bear. That's generalized chef culture. That's not every chef. I, right, I mean, right, like, yeah. I can't tell you how many men and women chefs that are very skilled that don't act like that, but are visibly upset if somebody is doing something wrong. And then, look, I mean, there's so much rambling that comes out of a conversation like this. I mean, like, peop- if we're really going to change, then we need to change all of restaurants, right? So... It's not just like get rid of the bad culture. It means, okay, so then we need to be able to pay the back of the house more, which means front of the house has to make 20% less. And so that's not going to go, because there's only a finite amount of money coming into the business. So if we're going to redistribute that that money, then then that's going to be its own problem. So then we have to reconcile that. And then we're going to have to reconcile, okay, so that means just in general, it can't just be that uh, it's crazy if there's a $25 hamburger and it doesn't come for fries like now hamburgers are just $25 even in Iowa and $40 in Manhattan like and we have to start to like if we're gonna we can't cherry pick the polarizing things the the sexy things of the TV show or whatever we have to have a real broad conversation because because this is uh, you know I have my own problems and 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 uh, uh, I've evolved a lot over the years but this is still the thing that I put uh, a shit ton of hours. Like, I have several 10,000 hours, Malcolm Gladwell, I'm an expert in this field. So this is the thing that I have no uh, desire to leave or change, and that I want to be able to pass it on to people, to other people that are, whether they look at it as th- their career choice or whatever, I would like to pass that on. Uh but they're choosing to be in a very repetitive business that is just hot and small and uncomfortable and customers don't you know really want to be a part of the dialogue of okay well the cook that's not very good today is here so you're going to pay for a lesser product but you know it's how it is yeah, yeah, yeah. you know or the, my more expensive cook works saturday so it's more expensive Okay, so since like you can't, you cannot have just the one part of the conversation. You have to talk. You got to zoom out and talk about it all at once. And more people need to talk about it all at once instead of just being so vindictive. Well, yeah, I've never judgmental. There's just a lot of judgment going on. Right, right. I wasn't trying to be judgmental when I was talking about like the cool. I'll tell you. Here's the thing, because I think there's a lot of what I learned between the two bars that I had. Right is I learned that not everyone who is valuable gives feedback the same way that I receive it. Like, so, like, that's what I'm more what I'm talking about, is, like, becoming better at, like, seeing talent that's not the same as me. Not everyone is the same, and not yeah. everyone can be treated the same. I mean, yeah. that's something that I've only learned recently. Yeah. I, 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 uh, a lot of my kitchen staff now are uh, non-culinary school, first-time you know, they're, they were in the dish pit 
And it was like, enough. I'm sick of this. I'm, they're hardworking people. I'll just pull them and train them how to do it. I'm going to stop waiting for, for someone else to knock on the door. And uh, so two out of my three restaurants are fully staffed in the kitchen by former dishwashers right That's now. That's sick. That's great. And, uh, and they just, you know, they want to be taught more skills. So that way then it's just logical. Okay, then you'll pay me more if I know how to do the grill station too and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and it's not toxic. It's not anything, you know. Right. It's just, I think, I feel that like we're as an industry getting better about recognizing different kinds of talent. Yeah. And people respond differently. So I, look, I, I, I did not get screamed at at all these restaurants. I was six, four. People didn't really scream at me, you know, but, uh, but I came from like, my parents raised me right. And I was in the Boy Scouts for like 15 years. And so a big wow. part of the Boy Scouts is once you like learn a task, uh, once it once an adult teaches you how to do something, they no longer will do it for you. Like that's like the crux of Boy Scouts. And so whether that's wielding an axe to chop down wood for for a fire, or whether that's first aid, or whether it's cooking, a big part of that was cooking, and that's why you know I got into cooking. Really, Boy Scouts? Yeah, one of the things is like over the years they like they make it for you and hand it to you, and then they eventually give you like a, a can of beef stew and a can opener, and you got to heat it up yourself, and then eventually you just have to make the beef stew yourself. You know, and like uh, Dinty Moore was that the was that the beef stew like of record? Dinty, yeah. Or, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I've eaten many of those. There's probably one in my in my pantry right now. You got to go check out. Uh, check out uh, Armor did a movie in the late '50s, early '60s, and one of the things is the Dinty Moore line. So you can see them packing the oh, really? old style. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Huh, cool. <laughs> uh, so I'm just saying, like, so I was like preconditioned. To and I feel a lot. There's a lot of parallels that in a kitchen, right? So you go into a kitchen, and now you know something. And the way I moved, I moved. Up, I was a sous chef at a three Michelin star restaurant when I was uh, 21 or 22 at Alenia, and it was because I just, I just made sure I knew all the things that Grant wanted me to know, and that I could do it. So he, I was just his go-to guy for those four years, you know, and. Uh, but as soon as I saw someone that was ahead of me, I would just start learning their, okay, give me that. I'll, I'll do that dish for you now. And then I'll do this. And then I would just go up to Curtis Duffy or whoever one of the sous chefs was and say, I want to work that station now. And then they would just move me because there was no argument. And I, I was in control of my own career. And uh, I don't know. Well, one more linear question because I always yeah. forget. Was that was this stuff there? Because I know... Uh, like an aviary, like all of the products were really siloed. It was like, it was done like, like Catalan style, like one dish, one person, like all the way through. Did, was a linear like that too? Or were, were multiple people working on, in other words, like, did you just work on this one dish tonight and then tomorrow you worked on a different dish or like, how was that kitchen organized? No, uh, people had like one or two or sometimes three dishes on their station. I was put on meat for a long time and I, there were times where I had like eight or nine dishes on my station because Almost every sous chef, every, almost every cook had a sous chef that they would turn and pass everything to, and then that person would play it. For like almost most of my time there, that person was Grant. Uh, so we were just sort of on top of each other the whole for like years. Yeah, and I also forget were they a quiet kitchen or were they a talking kitchen? Uh, you could hear the cook text fan in that restaurant. Damn. Yeah. Damn. What about you? But, but my point was like, I was preconditioned for like discipline. Right. You know, like my, the way my parents raised me. And so like, so I, that's, that, it's just the, my point of all that 
stuff was just like, so it's just easier for me. And I don't see it as abuse or something. No one was yelling at me. And, uh, and I, you know, there's no, uh, it doesn't mean that other people don't internalize it differently. Everybody perceives everything differently. But I, I can't be that much of an outlier, right? I'm just some random person from Chicago. So I other say, people... I wouldn't, wouldn't say random, but yes. But other people can work in these environments, not experience uh, difficulties, or uh, and just be accumulating knowledge and applying it to their career. Because they want to be the best. They want to, they, so they're, they're, they're on the best team. You know? By the way, I love that you call out the Cook Tech. Cook Tech is the Chicago induction brand that everyone everyone used. Cook Tech. Are they still? Do people still use Cook Tech? Yeah, 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 yeah. They were they were the only commercial induction that anyone really used in the U.S. As far as I know, because the European ones they would break and you couldn't get them fixed. And well, it was cool because both Cook Tech and PolyScience were both in the Chicago area. Yeah, yeah. Phil Preston. I mean, yeah. he, he used to hang out with Grant all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was there a lot. My, my man P press. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's a funny dude, man. I was, uh, I don't talk to him as much now that he sold most of poly science to, uh, to Breville. I mean, we should have him on the show once to talk about the history of the, of the circulator. Mm. He's an interesting cat. Yeah. Yeah. And he would come by a lot with like the work on the cold plate and stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. He, well, he built the cold plate for you guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think he had it finished. I think the first proto was probably finished before Alinea opened because so way back in the, in, I think it was Oh five or Oh four before Alinea opened someone that is, I don't know whether it was Grant himself or somebody just started putting out all of this, um, blog content. It was him. On Eagle, remember when Eagle was a thing? Yeah, and it was just like everyone was like, "What the?" Fuck? You know what I mean? Because it was just like he's gonna have this and he's gonna have this, and people were just like, "There was not it." There was the level of anticipation for that place opening up based on what people in my community were reading was just intense. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean Eagle. I mean Eagle was like a forum that people just posted like food questions and stuff on, and then I remember being in. My, my culinary school library and someone was flipping through it and it was Granakets at Nikokonis's house like messing yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. being like, what am I looking at? Yeah. It was a fun time also because like I was trying to build random crap for Wiley. I mean, I don't have the resources that uh, P Press does, but like Philip Preston is, was in his garage trying to manufacture snow. Did he ever bring any of that stuff over to you guys? I don't remember that. He was trying to manufacture Sounds like easy, right? Not easy. Snow crystals are very specific, and mm. so he was trying to generate flavored snow, and flavored snow is even more difficult than regular snow. Anyway, good times, good times. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get back more into 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 current. Okay, so uh, we'll skip over Blue Hill Stone Barns for now, uh, unless you want to say something uh, about your experience there. I mean, like I only ate there once or twice, and I had a fantastic meal. Yeah, I mean, the thing that was nice about Stone Barns was. Like, Dan would pull Hakurai turnips out of the ground. And, I, you know, I don't mean this to be an insult or anything, but he like, he would look at me and be like, per se couldn't fucking get these, you oh, know? Man. And, like, he would just so passionately talk about stuff that wasn't really talked about at, at per se. And uh, yeah, he's a, that he's, was, you he's, know... He's a strange dude in his own right there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's definitely his own person. Uh, but it was, But that was the attraction, I you know? I was sort of in the same school with with per se and 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 Elenia, and it was nice to kind of have a different someone that didn't come from that same camp, you know. Right. Oh, it's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, oh my God, it's so weird how like 
even at that tier level, there's all these weird cliques. And, or, is it clique or clique? Yeah, like, what do you think? he comes from Boulay, right? right? And so then that's like, that's Christina Tosi, that's uh, uh, Cesar Ramirez, that's Dan Barber. I mean, that's, it's like, there's that family and there's like, there's... there's if- Although Tosi's a crossover, right? Because Tosi, like, you know, she did, she did Wiley, she did WD, she was pastry at WD uh, when Sam was there and then moved to... Um, to start working with with Chang, and those guys are all um, Daniel Balud and and uh, and um, uh, oh my God JG, you know Jean George mm, crew. Mm. They're that sort of click. Yeah, J, JG Balud, like you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean so many crazy cooks came out of the JG kitchen and the Balud kitchen. You know what I mean? Will those clicks still happen? You think in the future? I don't know. Uh, it's a great question. I think part of like what you were saying earlier where, you know, you are looking for people who are working for you that kind of demonstrate that they want to have the knowledge and the connections and want to do this in the future and you're going to nurture them, right? So yeah. I think it's going to continue that way. I don't think it needs to be a prerequisite. I don't think everybody needs to, you know, I don't have that type of restaurant either. But, uh, but it's still hard in like, uh, it's still unusual. Like it's more difficult just that I go to the farmers market f- four days a week and bring a whole bunch of random stuff back that's seasonal than just having it come on a truck and it comes out of a box and it gets put into another. Like even just little stuff like that makes it harder to work at my own restaurant. And like I'm not gonna not choose that. Like I'm still gonna always choose that. Right. By the way, I saw a video of you that you were doing it. You were doing the Union Square Market because it's you know the best in the area. How the hell do you get all that stuff back? You had all this stuff in a cart. How, what do you? Well, you have they a used truck to fit or what? Into one Uber and now it's two. Hey. Yeah. So it's racking up. I think I spend. I mean, I definitely spend enough to get a nice big car. But I don't know. I, we were with this Rockefeller thing coming. I'm not really. I don't really know how I'm gonna do that because. Well, here, what are you sure going to? Are you are you going to cook it here? Are you going to? The nice thing about you now is you have what one, two, three. How many places do you, you have now? You have. Uh, I have three restaurants, all within a block of each other in Prospect uh, Heights. Right, so that's like a farm team. You so you can just pick people who can like work up here and like see how they work out in this environment. I mean, that's got to be good, right? Like have that home base that you can like. Yeah, it's it's really it's been. I mean, even just there, there's a lot of more camaraderie. There's like uh, you know, like one family. In the dish pit, and then their cousins are cooks at the other one, and 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 uh, yeah, it's it's been it's a it's been a lot, honestly it's been a lot easier to staff, uh, I think because we're so close to each other. Right. So like you know you have the kind of close to each other empire, fabulous and Jeremiah with the Contra Wild Air and you know all that other stuff. I think it's kind of a good model. You know what I mean? I really do. So the, my original thought was uh, okay if o- I have my Olmstead, and then across the street is the French one, and it's smaller and it's more bar vibes. That like. Olmsted would be the dining room at Gramercy Tavern, and then like the tavern would be Mezzanaki. Like that was how I was trying to look at it. That like uh, that there would be a lot of cross utilization. Well, didn't you say you were also commissarying a lot of stuff out of uh, Olmsted into Mezzanaki, or was it the other way around? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, they they all it's all. Like if someone's making chicken liver moose, they make it for each other. And speaking of chicken liver moose, I saw your chicken liver moose, and I have to say, thank God you serve it. At least the picture I saw with enough freaking like starch. I freaking hate when you get like one little tiny piece of bread and all this liver. What am I supposed to do? Just spoon it? Yeah. It's not freaking pudding. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> some people think it's pudding. Also, like here's another question. So like all the crew that you came up with, they are all cold foie people. 
just asking about foie in general. Mm-hmm. Are you a cold foie person, a hot foie person, or are you agnostic? You like it always. Great question. I don't know the last time I had foie. Yeah. Well, it's a, uh, it was like really I all mean, the time. Yeah. I would go hot. Me but. too. But all those freaks love it cold. They but love the cold like press. But not like tea poached, blah, 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 bullshit. And it's like still flaccid. No, just stuff. boom. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's either seared or yeah. it's a culturing, you know. Yeah. Right, right. But like, what's better than hot? Eat it, right? Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It tastes good. We would do a lot of like poaching foie at some of the restaurants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. um, yeah. wasn't for me. So, yeah. So if you, if you go to Olmstead, which by the way, I think we met. At a bar once, right before Olmstead opened, and I, I think, I think it was you, someone from your program. I think it was you, and I was like, "Is it?" I was trying to figure out like how much you guys cared about Frederick Law Olmstead. I think we met at something, some Questlove thing, probably, and I probably peppering you about how much you cared about Frederick Law Olmstead, but I forget what you said. Do, like, you do really, I worship him or something? Well, I don't know if you name it after. I mean, I'm assuming it's Olmstead because Prospect Park, blah, 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 or it's whatever. because it's Prospect Park, but he also designed the Chicago World's Fair. And then uh. there's, he has this thing where there's like, uh, there's usually some type of greenery that he tries to design in between connecting that as parks. And so we sort of started that from out front of the restaurant, added a 50-foot green wall that connects you to the back of the garden. So I mean, greatest parks designer in uh, U.S. history, probably. Yeah. And their family's been, I mean, there's like 4,000 Olmsteads now, but they've been pretty, pretty great to us. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you give them like a little like a five percent Olmstead card, like a little glass of something <laughs> when they walk in? <laughs> Here's a little shot. Here's a little teaser. You go, hey, you really in Olmstead? That's what you give them, right? Uh, well, one of them is a food writer. Really? For Forbes. Yeah. Oh, how, how, how crazy is that? It's funny. That's <laughs> hilarious. And uh, are they? Is their last name Olmstead? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, Larry Olmstead. So were you like, do you come by it honestly, or is this some uh, some sort of bullcrap Olmstead? Yeah, he loved it. He, lo- yeah, he thought it was great. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, all right. Let's talk about, um, unless I missed something. Oh, I like something. So your rutabaga, let me ask you this. So in rutabaga, you make this, your well-known rutabaga, like, uh, what do you call it? Tell you, tell you, tell you. Yeah, yeah. And you put it through a sheeter, and then you and then you roll it, slice it. What do you, poach it off? You just like half cook it and boil like pot. You just boil it in water. Yeah. Unsalted water, otherwise it turns to mush. And then... Wait, know, say it again? If you put salt in the water, like you would think for pasta, the rutabaga gets too soft too quickly. Really? Yeah, yeah. so you you par-cook it. As, like, you take it to a point, and Why? then you put Why? it in the sauce. Why? Because the osmotic have, stuff comes out? Like, because the salt forces liquid out, and it can it... Like, I think wh- just like... Yeah, probably just because it helps break it down a little bit. Huh. And uh, I will have to investigate this. This is an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. And, uh, and so then it comes out sort of al dente, and, uh, and but there's like a butter sauce, so- like a truffle butter sauce, and it's very, it's just heavy and noodly and, and truffly. Man, you put like brown butter crumbles or something. Yeah, right? like yeah. milk salad. Yeah, we, Ooh, milk salad. Yeah. All right, my question is this. Very 10 um, years ago. I love uh, rutabaga. I think it's like underused. I love it. However, the day after, if it's been refrigerated, like without a sauce or something, something goes off in rutabaga to me. I, I like rutabaga. I'm a day of rutabaga man, but I know a lot of people aren't. So I'm wondering like what I'm doing, or if you have any tips on, do you have this phenomenon? Have you ever noticed that like rutabaga gets a weird... Like a radish? Yeah. It goes in, it goes in a different direction. Like... Eh, I would it, just recommend not having leftovers. There you go. I mean, it's fine in a soup. It's fine left over in a soup or in a sauce. Yeah. yeah. But like, if you like, uh, like a lot for a lot of dishes. Where what I've been doing with a lot the trim because we have rutabaga somewhere 
And so we have a lot of rutabaga trim. We I turn it into just basically like a really simple soup. Like there's not much going on there. And then I make a like a bechamel with Jasper Hill cheddar. But then I, I combine the 50-50 with rutabaga puree in the in the perblanc. No, sorry, the bechamel. Yeah. And it just makes it, you know, like how if you eat mac and cheese, like after three bites, you're just sort of done with it. Yeah. Like it makes it so much lighter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then, and then know, it still looks the same because it's the same color. Right. Uh, although sometimes it's okay to serve something that you only want three bites of if that's all you're giving them. Yeah. <laughs> you don't but want it's them a family to style restaurant, yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. I would look like a jackass if oh, I was okay. giving three spoonfuls here's, of mac and cheese. Here's your family style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So another one on the thing. So the, the, the duck. So you, you are self-avowed uh, duck lover, mm-hmm. and you like an aged, not aged, uh, dried duck to get the skin to, to render out, but yeah. you, you're like, look, we don't have the room to age the whole freaking duck, and plus I don't need to age the rest of the duck that I'm not going to do this kind of prep on. How do you, so you, you cut off all the, all the, all the breasts, break the stuff down into what you're going to use, take the fat off they're going to use, and presumably you're going to render it out to do something else. Mm-hmm. And then you do a 14-day dry drying thing on the on the thing. But what do you do to stop the meat underneath from drying out? Do you have like some sort of like technique? You, just, you have them slightly overlap each other. So like we, so it's just a duck breast, and then we we clean it so that way all the sinew and stuffs off the back of it. And then there's you know a quarter of an inch or more of just auxiliary skin that's been trimmed so it's not as thick. Right. So it's the thickness of what's on the actual breast because right the outside stuff has some, tends to be a little thicker. And then we score it and then when you just lie them amongst each other, the within that fourteen days, they they don't get a funk. I mean if it's it's like pretty like if you're like three days past that, you're running a, a risk of it getting a little funky. Like I'll still eat it and like right. it. Right. Some people love funk on yeah. their on their duck. I've never been that person. I'm I'm not even a dry aged beef guy. I don't Oh really? I you know what? I, the thing with dry aged beef is I think dry Someone aged... said it was cool and then everybody started to follow suit. Also like uh dry aged meat in a bag doesn't work for me. Mm. You know what I mean? Like cooking it in a bag because then the that smell from the bone and the fat near the bone right. goes through the whole dang thing. Mm. And it's just a lot. Mm. It's just a lot. I can enjoy almost anything. I only ever once had a really aged birds at Hicks in London. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, man. Like, <laughs> like a squab or something? A grouse. Like, just like that. It was like all rotten, and I had to spit out the, the, the BBs and all this other stuff. And I was like, I don't yeah. mind spitting out the BBs, but it's a lot. Like, like, yeah, that uh, wouldn't be for me. It's a lot. You know, like when they, they hang it until it's all rotting on the inside. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But but people love it. You know do what they? I mean? They do. So um you remember who um Alan Sayak was? Is he's not dead. He was a <laughs> he was the he was the dean uh at uh, the French culinary before Nils came on and you know, along with Andre Soltner and uh, and Jacques Pepin and, and uh uh Jacques Therese. Anyways, so he was at Le Cirque for a while, but his like big restaurant that he started here in, in or was big out here was Le Cine, which is the Swan, right? And uh he was telling me these stories. He was a weird, funny guy. I learned a lot from him because I came in to the FCI as this modern guy, but then I have to work with this old school French guy. And he would tell me stories about his dad making him cook these like rotten birds that were hanging in his basement when they when he was a kid in France. And like this, just the disgust on this chef's face was just like priceless. You know, you like a disgusted French guy, right? The look on a disgusted French guy's face. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so like whenever I think about the birds, but that's, I think that's the argument of why a bird with buckshot and it's old is good. No, no, no. It's it's an argument. <laughs> like whenever whenever I feel like I have to like something, 
I think of like, you know, uh, Chef Sayak telling me, you know, and the blood dripping down my father's face was disgusting. The whole thing was disgusting. I'm like, dude, man, Jesus, I'm freaking good man, you know? Yeah. I think I've, I've evolved, at least I think I have to, to where I don't, I don't pretend like I like something out of respect anymore. That's a good age to be at. Yeah. Yeah. Like where it's like, so like, it's like, you're, it's so cool. You work at Eleni, you go somewhere and they send you something and it's like, oh my God, I got to call my mom. And, and then, then, uh, then you're going up in your career and like, oh, you know, you're starting to get like cop meals and that's crazy. That's so amazing. I got to call my, you know, and then, uh, now I just want to be left alone. I don't want anyone to talk to me. Don't send me anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to talk about my restaurants. Especially if you're going to talk about staffing. Yeah. You know? If you're going out like with your family, you like, you just want, yeah, yeah, uh, it's true. Not that uh, I'm like some guy or something. I'm just, I haven't been out in like two years, so I'm not really pushing anything away, but. Well, so yeah. speaking of two years, uh, so how did you, okay. So my experience when my bar shut down in the pandemic was that, the crew was very nervous about working, especially just to like pump drinks out to people who wanted drinks, right? Then you took on this model where, well, you're going to do a food bank out of your restaurant, keep your crew working and also do, uh, you know, help people out. How did the funding work for that? And then also how did it, like, how did the crew respond to that? Because they yeah. saw it as, as question. Uh, you know, useful, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that that is what made COVID so exhausting, not COVID itself. I mean, we, like we shut down and then within a week we were operating as a food book bank. Like everyone was laid off and some cooks were, were like, you know, okay, well, I'll just keep coming anyway. I don't care. And uh, so we started making meals and uh, and that was with Rethink, at least thing. I'm sorry. No, that was with, uh, uh, what is that thing? The Lee Initiative. And then, uh, and then, shortly later, you know, a little bit later on, we it was World Central Kitchen, and then, so it was Lee Initiative, Rethink, and World Central Kitchen, sorry. And uh, what's crazy is that Olmstead, we had only one storefront when we opened, and over the years, we just expanded. So the dry cleaner next to us went out of business. We grabbed it, connected it through the basement. So we were operating like this food bank bodega thing out of the main dining room out of Olmstead, and we just left the, we just didn't take down the the vestibule we left it up and used that as like this like barrier between the guests and and then cut to a few uh like a month or two into it we we were trying to bring other people back if we could so we turned the private dining room into uh like a bakery like a grocery store and uh and then just we were because we had the store we were able to kind of justify a couple front of the house people and and then not that long after they they uh they released uh outdoor dining and so then that kind of you know it was like baby it was baby it was a lot of and then we did this like black entrepreneur series across the street and it was just it was uh i mean draining for them i for bet everyone. you know what like uh, the you know again my place shut but the places that were open i just like the level of kind of internal punishment that people had to take to be working in that environment you know what i mean it's just because it wasn't it didn't look fun anyway. Like I only did a couple of things. I mean, it looked just like I don't know. Yeah, like, it was God bless anyone. Getting random. Like, I mean, it was all beautiful. We're getting random things dropped off, but like sometimes we would literally get a truck of just beets, and we were like, "Where are we putting?" And they were like frozen prepackaged beets, so we didn't oh, even Jesus. have a freezer to put them in. Like it was, uh, you know, it was draining for for the staff. But yeah, uh, just all those. I mean, my takeaway is is. You know, transitions are much harder now. 
whether like that, but then that could just meet a menu change or that I want to bring in a chef or that I want to transfer a cook from one station to another. And, uh, I think that sh that part should be acknowledged to why is that? And how do we move forward? Like, uh, like what's, you know, what's causing that? Yeah. By the way, you, uh, are you a personally beat positive, beat neutral or beat negative person? I don't think it's ever been on it. No, I had a beet salad on Olmstead's menu. Uh, I mean, does anyone serve it not just with like beets and pine nuts and goat cheese? Goat cheese, yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, when I come up with that dish, I know. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the, anyway, I don't know. I like, I like that dehydrated beet thing that people were doing, like par dehydrated beet thing that people were doing and then roasting off like, you know, seven, eight years ago. I thought that was mm. good. I don't know. The, like the, and the quick lime thing where they uh, soaked it and then were they doing that i don't know like mike and, and like uh, bark, pat and, park. yeah no i don't know about that anyway all right so let's get to the current stuff so that so that i'm, I'm not uh shafting anyone so uh patty ann like you're getting like you're like you're getting a lot of uh, uh like a lot of people are going nuts for this idea of kind of thinking about these things that are seen as uh what you call what do you, what, what is it called anything midwestern what, what is it, midwestern comfort food what's the what's yeah. the style although we eat stuff out here too man i mean like I grew up with Blooming Onions too, man. It's not just in the Midwest. Yeah. That's probably... I don't know if I've had a Blooming Onion before I put it on the menu. That was that was just... That was very family-friendly. Yeah, yeah, so that's yeah. I so, so is there... A, like, how are you reinventing the... the or are you not? Just, I mean... They're, they're good. They're, it's all... I mean, they're all creative outlets, right? Like, Olmsted is the, the vegetable... Whatever I could do whatever I want with vegetables restaurant, and, and people like it. And, and the one across the street is small French food, because I like heavy French food, but it's small, and it's more bar vibes. And then... Patty Ann's, you know, I don't know how many times I'm in these articles or, or like these interviews where, yeah, you can come to my restaurant once a week. It's neighborhood, blah, 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 blah. Like I'm not eating at Olmstead once a week. At Patty Ann's, you can, there's a bakery attached to it. There's breakfast, lunch, yeah, and dinner. Yeah, we got two minutes. Keep going. You know, there's breakfast, there's lunch, there's dinner, there's there's brunch. So there's a lot of reasons to, to actually come back. And it is kid friendly. It's not a kid. They're not kids running around everywhere, but it's like it's you can bring your family there and not feel weird rolling up with a couple strollers and kids and asking for a table at six o'clock on a now, Thursday. Did you take your whole crew to the Outback Steakhouse and order a blooming onion and see it's too powdery. Their coating is too powdery. It's kinda dry and powdery. I did just eat at a uh, cracker barrel the other day. Oh though, for well, some research. I yeah. saw that you did a crack you have a cracker cracker barrel conceptually like I like giant checkers, but like I've never had a good meal at Cracker Barrel. Did you have a good meal at your Cracker Barrel? I had the a really uh, delicious, but very beige uh, chicken fried steak uh, with mashed potatoes and gravy the other day. Chicken fried steak's a great idea with the white with the white gravy and uh, biscuits. I swapped it for the brown gravy. Okay, mm. all right. <laughs> and uh, talk to me about port wine balls because that's everybody's greatest nineteen seventies you know, thing. Just port wine cheese. Yeah, it's so that thing that my mom puts out for every occasion that no one touches. You know, <laughs> nuts or we, no we, nuts. We made a good one. We went without nuts. Ooh. What we did is we take cauliflower, different colors, and we. Turn it into couscous and pack it around it. Okay. So it's like kind of already the crudite. So okay. you just could put it up. It's, it seems sounds weird, but that's it's a, hard. That's a good update. Yeah. That's a good update. I think that's a good and, and to you because uh don't get anyone started on what a pig in the blanket is. What is a pig in the blanket to you? Because I grew up with the with the pancake around a freaking sausage or yeah. like that, you know. What we do is we buy bacon, Nooski's bacon. It's from the it's from Wisconsin, from the Midwest. And good we, bacon. Yeah, and we make uh, potato rolls and then we braid the bacon. With the potato roll, and then we bake it off and serve with honey mustard. Ah, nice. Yeah. Braided so bacon. People call it a duvet. Of, ah. uh, 
picking the blanket. Okay. Okay. And uh, what is your, uh, oh, first of all, Cobb is one of the great salads. Would you agree one of the top five or six salads on earth yeah. is the Cobb? So what do you do to the Cobb that... Uh, what we do is we make a blue cheese, uh, you know, foam, and then all the layers kind of go over of the bacon and the egg whites and the yolks and the chives and everything in, in the same kind of Cobb salad line. And then we serve endive as like a scoop. Yeah. So it's more of like a dip form. Ooh, Cobb salad dip. Yeah. So so it's all the same. It tastes exactly like one, but it's more dip, dippy, sherry, you know. Mm. All right. Well, I unfortunately have not been yet, but yeah, uh, John, when you, when you have a day off, we should go. Yeah, let's do it. When I hire another cook, yeah. Did you have any? And we're late already, but did you have any questions you want to ask John? Because no. you didn't pipe in anything. It's all good. No, no, we're good. This I got the questions you want to listen. Yep. People who Patreon who wrote in non-specific questions for today will get you. Is next week no tangent? I think so. Yeah, no tangent Tuesday. All right. Well, Greg, thanks so much for coming yeah, on. Thanks for I hope me. you had a good time. Cooking issues. Yeah. Thank you. 